Hey, it's your girl, Chanae Ogwamake. And I am Lisa Leslie, and this is Front and Center. We do it with our own little flavor, right? We do it with our own little seasoning, right, Lisa? Well, you know I'm seasoning, and you are what? Flavor. So we will be what? Front, Front and, and Center. center. <laughs> Lisa, how is your week going? Chanae, my week is going good. Um, you know what I'm most excited about? I guess sister got her ballot. So, and you know, I've been talking about all week more than a boat. So, we, oh, you're in coordination. Yes. Like, you got the matching mask and top. Yes. I'm just really excited about, you know, this opportunity that we have to get out and vote, how important voting is. And I'm just happy that people, I think all people, are more woke about how important this election is more than ever before. And uh, that's pretty much my news, just getting ready to, you know, educate myself, my sister, my mom, my husband, my brother-in-law. We all get together and go through the ballot, which is pretty much pretty easy this time because we um, we know exactly who we're voting for. And yeah, that's it. How about that you? Part, that part. It's funny because you talked about news and I plan on voting I plan on going home to vote, which we can get to later because I'm currently in California, but I need to get home to Texas to vote. But you talked about news, and that takes me to my biggest update that the show that I'm watching, because I've watched every show under the sun, mm-hmm. I went back and like started searching out articles. In case you watched everything, what else should you watch? Yeah. And I fell on The Newsroom, a TV show that was a precursor to sort of scandal, how to get away with murder, all those type of shows it sort of set up the scene for what we are dealing with now. And it's just weird because a lot of the stuff in the newsroom that was of news back in 2010, 2012, 2015 or so, they're all still relevant factors today. So it's sort of weird when you watch an old TV show that's talking about news in their time, knowing that we still haven't fixed a lot of the stuff they're talking about. Who who started that? It's Jeff Daniels. Emily Mortimer. Oh, shout out to Olivia Munn, who is like the young, fiery economic specialist. And so I watched an entire season of that over the weekend. I know I sound like a weirdo, but this is what I do to like decompress. Yeah. And so that's the show. Well, you know what it is, Janae? You do things so that you don't have to think, which I like to do also because we're such thinkers and movers and shakers, if you will, that to sit and watch a show um it's great you know what show i started watching ratchet you heard of that i heard of it what is that about that is about a nurse from one who flew over the cuckoo's nest it's kind of like a prequel to that and uh yeah she crazy but it's really good we might as well just start a whole nother podcast where we recommend tv shows because that is our specialty yes Let's get back to where you started things with, Lisa, because it's the most important thing, the most important piece of mail you've got in four years, sis, (laughs) your ballot. And so today I think we both agree that it's important to dedicate an entire episode to voting because this is the most important election, at least it feels to me, and I'm sure it feels to you, of our generation, of our time, and we all have to participate, right, Lisa? Yes, Chanae, but later we'll be talking to Ms. Latasha Brown, who's the co-founder of the voting advocacy group, Black Voters Matter. We'll be talking to her about how voting is not just about participation, it's about power. When we vote, we seize our power and can change the trajectory of this country. But stay tuned because we will be right back. 
we have made it. I cannot believe it, but we have made it. We are, I'm still in shock, a week out from the election. Now, millions of people have voted already, and I think a lot of organizations are reporting that we are having record numbers of people, first of all, registering, but also finding creative ways because we know we're in pandemic to mm-hmm. make sure your ballot is casted and it counts. And we are in the home stretch of this campaign season, a campaign season that looks like at times it's come straight out of the show scandal or how to get away <laughs> with murder. We've seen all the, the political theater. Pretty much we've seen everything. And now finally we've got to the finish line where we've got a couple days and now voting, getting out there and making sure we follow that through is such a reality. It's so close. Lisa, you have voted in, let's just say, a few more elections than me. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm... Can you remember the first time you voted and who you voted for and how that went? To be honest, I cannot. I feel like before having children, there was a life that I lived. And I have no memory except when Obama was elected. Like, I feel like that's when I really remember like being so proud and going because I was out of the country one time. I remember sending an absentee ballot. So I feel like I never really felt a part of it until the election with Obama, to be really honest. And I remember going and being so excited and being there, you know, just early voting. And I really got the better understanding of voting every not every four years, but voting every two years and participating in who's going on with our local representatives. And I think as you get older and then you start to have kids, you really pay a lot more attention to that, which is unfortunate because here's the deal, Janae, being really honest, I feel like when we were back in school, when I was in school, whether it was middle school, high school, you had civics, I don't feel like our right to vote was really connected In a way, it was sort of like, do you want to be a part of politics or not? It's almost like a separate thing as opposed to being taught that like our lives depend on it. This is a right that we should take just as serious as a 16-year-old who wants their driver's license, like having driver's ed. I believe that our country does not put enough emphasis on the importance of voting and participating. It's given to us and we're educated in a way like it's an option and it shouldn't be that way. So that's something I would say, honestly, and I felt like that's the way I came into politics, just kind of like, oh, no, I'm not really interested in that until you realize, fool, you don't have you don't choose to be interested in it. It's about your life and it's about having your voice heard and participating. So I've come really full circle with the education of politics and understanding the importance and also educating other people. You're right, because growing up in Texas, we Mm -hmm. had Texas history. We had world history, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of things that were omitted from the history that I would have loved and been more curious about and also just more so educated on the importance of one of them being just voting because we had government class and we understood what are the areas of government that you're passionate about and how it all constitutes and all that type of stuff. But we didn't really get back to the most important thing is that voting is what puts those people in government in place. And those people are the ones that make the policies that govern our lives, our livelihoods, our potentials. And so having that recognition later on, knowing that this is not just a subject in a class, this is real life. Like, I do think that we haven't had that sense of urgency to understand it at the greatest degree. And like my first experience with voting, I'm just lucky. I really do feel like I'm lucky because I am a millennial 
I grew up in a time where I could vote and there are candidates that I could see myself looking like or see myself embodied in. And whether that is the first black president or potentially the first woman, like these are things I don't take for granted. Like Mm -hmm. I think in the moment I was like, man, like I am rooting for X, Y, or Z just because I am seeing a version of representation that means something to me because it's a part of me. Right. And I didn't even realize how much of a luxury that is Mm -hmm. because now we're in a situation where, you know, diversity is being talked about and held to a standard. And now like I can hold my system accountable for that diversity. Mm -hmm. Like I just thought I was lucky a few years ago, but now I'm like, no, 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 this is what we should be fighting for, for more inclusion. And Mm -hmm. so now to be at a point where, You know, once again, we have women making history and Kamala Harris and like Mm -hmm. just being in a position where I no longer think that that is an aberration. Like that is what we should be striving for. Those types of things for young girls to see young girls or say you are a white man in America that for a long time people are saying you've been advantaged, like to show that you as a white man or you as someone in a position of power care for others. That's all things that I'm like, wow, like we can hold people to that same standard. So it's funny looking back because I thought it was more like, wow, I can't believe this is a once in a lifetime type of thing. Now I'm like, "Mm, we're on a different energy. Like we should strive for a standard of diversity, inclusion, and also opportunity. And so I feel like that's the energy we're on going into this election. And I do feel like to add to what you're saying, social media has given us that view, right? To be able to see other women. I think, um, you know, I had a chance to meet Michelle Obama and go to the White House and to be in her presence and to give back to the community there in Washington, just being around her. And I'm like, wow, we are a lot alike. Like, just in terms of like how she moved, how she talked, her jokes. She was funny. She has a great sense of humor. And she really had passion and love for people. And I think it was the really the first time Now I had been to the White House with the Clintons and with Barbara Bush. Like it was a different feeling when you see someone that looks like you. So I think, you know, to your point, maybe there was a time that it did feel like that wasn't our place in our space in this country just because we didn't see that representation. I also grew up seeing Maxine Waters, who, you know, I've always loved being from California and just seeing her represent us in, in such a way that was like, that's what you would aspire to do. But now with social media, I think just with us understanding the systemic oppression, if you will, at times, it's just been more liberating for us to see like, no, this is what we're supposed to be fighting for. We have to have a voice. We have to teach our children. I have to teach my children to use their voice and their education. And it's not just an option. It's not just a subject in class. This is our lives and our future depends on it and their kids' future will depend on it. So I love the fact that we have been able to educate ourselves, to see ourselves in a different light and to recognize that we are not going back. We're just not. Absolutely. And you know, one thing I was actually having this deep conversation with someone about was just that when it comes to elections, I feel like this one feels different just because it feels like we have a lot at stake. We've been dealing with coronavirus. We've been dealing with pandemic. We've been dealing with social injustice. We've been Mm -hmm. dealing with an economic downturn. A lot of people are at home. A lot of people need jobs. We've been dealing with so much. So it feels like this election can really set us back at least on track, which is why it feels so like intense. Like everyone's like, get out and vote. Like you better. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just having a conversation with someone and just like saying the hardest part for me is just knowing that before when it came to the election, I used to be comfortable with saying, hmm, This candidate, 
I like that person and that's why I'm going to vote. It's whether it's their demeanor or just how they carry themselves. Right. Now <laughs> I feel like that goes out of the window. Yeah, I mean, sort of. Policy. Yes. yes. You know, and I was making the point being that, like, I have to do my homework. Like, I mm-hmm. wouldn't go on and just say, oh, I'm going to give you this because I like you. Like, that's not right. what energy we're on anymore. I have to do my homework so that I'm holding that person accountable. It's no longer just, oh, I voted for you because I like you. It's now I voted for you because you have X, Y, or Z policy. Yeah. And when you get there, I want to see something for it, for that vote. And I think, like you said, for a long time, we've been in this abyss of, oh, vote for them. And then next, we don't think about it until four years later. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of been flipped on its head. A lot of people can't be willfully ignorant saying, I just like that person and that's why I'm voting. We're in a society now where it's like, oh, why are you voting? Like, why do you like them? Mm-hmm. What policy do you care about the most? And so now doing that homework naturally, I think, stokes our curiosities. And more importantly, now when whoever X, Y, or Z takes office, we are going to hold them accountable for that same energy. And so, like, I don't know if it's just me growing older and I'm starting to have this recognition. Maybe it's, like, me looking at these paychecks, like, okay, like, let me make sure that if I'm signing off for this tax, like, I want to make sure it goes to programs that we care about, you know? And, like, make sure that the opportunities are, are being blazed you know, trails being blazed for people that deserve equal opportunity. You know, like it just is funny because it hits different. The reason why we are, I guess, emotional now is because of the stresses and what we're seeing. We have time. Like we've had so much time over the last few months for us to actually go and do our homework. And to me, that's been like the blessing in disguise of it all. Time to recover, reset emotionally, time to see what's happening in our own backyards when it comes to social justice and the inequities, what happens, you know? And then now it's, we're going to election. We have time to watch the debate. We have time to research policy. And so now I feel like hopefully moving forward, that's the standard that we're on because I feel like before it was more like, oh, I'm going to check in and check out of government and politics and if my vote is really translating. And now it's like, uh, 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 like there's, like you said, no going back from here. Valid points because the fact that we have time, we've been able to educate ourselves even more and truly fact check the real facts. We've lived it. We're seeing it visually. How is it for you in the state of California right now? Like, what are you seeing? And I know you go back and forth from Texas and California, but just looking at California, what are you seeing in terms of voters and just movement and what are people talking about? So it's really interesting because on one hand, this is a very liberal state. I went to Stanford, a very liberal area. Mm -hmm. I'm in Los Angeles where it's like young dreamers and doers and achievers and, you know, Hollywood types that are very much outspoken, using their platforms for power and also for purpose. But yeah, like this is a very, very blue area. Let's be real here, where Mm -hmm. I'm at at least right now. And then, you know, now even thinking about going back home to Houston, Texas, which is very, very red. And the thing is, is like, the hardest thing I have to explain to people is that like, I see good people in both places. I just see good people that can't speak to each other because we are so passionate about our sides of the spectrum. And so while we might be quick in LA to call out and condemn every injustice, we're not explaining why these injustices exist so that we can bridge the gap for those back home in Texas. And I find myself in that space of trying to explain both sides and also understanding that everyone knows right from wrong. So like in LA, it's funny, you got a lot of young people that are out and about and protesting 
especially, you know, I was living downtown and, you know, moving at the time of these protests and like I'd hear people in the street and where I live now is a little more outside. And so like you'll be close to Beverly Hills and then you might see Trump rally or Trump bougie car, you know, because now they have like boats and stuff and all that stuff for that time, which is interesting. (laughs) You'll hear that like Trump was in Newport Beach. And so like you see two different sides jockeying for attention in real time. And it's fascinating. But at the same time, I go home and in Texas, it's a whole different battleground in the sense that there are a lot of great people and I love my Texas roots. But on the other side of the spectrum where most people think red, you know what I mean? And so it's been really strange for me because in a three hour flight, you can get two different mindsets. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people don't even communicate with the other side. So you're caught in the trap. Girl, I just watched The Social Dilemma where you expose yourself to one side of information and it's not really helping you. It's reconfirming all of your own biases. So now it's harder to even find that middle ground to have these conversations. And your girl's trying to be the middle ground. It's like, look, my homie's in Texas, but hold up, my homie's in California. Like we all got great ideas and ambitions and care and a big heart, but like because of the political rhetoric, it just is hard to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. And for those who haven't seen The Social Dilemma, it's a Netflix documentary that sort of explains the information out there, especially through social media, how social media really started by wanting to connect people, but it sort of morphed into a a landscape where it's driven by advertisers and advertisers basically change the intention of the website. Now, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter is catering towards advertisers and not towards an advertisers of specific information. And you're re-seeing information that you wanna see, not necessarily what you need to see. And Mm -hmm. so we are caught in our own little bubbles, which is funny because we talk about like sports, you know, bubbles. We're caught in our own bubbles, not knowing that the information we're seeing may not be what we need to see. It's what we have chosen to see and what people are monetizing and wanting you to see because that confirms your biases and keeps you in the lane. So yeah, there's a lot going through my head, girl. And I know, I think at the bottom of it all, we all know what's right and wrong. We all know where we should be pushing our energy towards. It's about having those tough conversations on both sides so that we no longer stay in stagnation. You know, we're not on autopilot. Like we are now holding everyone accountable for being better and doing better. And um, that's been my experience in California and Texas, which has been like complete opposites. But how about you, Lisa? Cause you're in Florida, which is also a conservative state. And it has been a hotbed of a lot of stuff going on, whether it comes from protocols to even just now you have the NBA and the WNBA there and a lot of social justice conversations and rhetoric were coming out of there. But you yes. also are have L.A. roots, so you know what it's like back here. Yeah, it, it's definitely probably everything you just described. The dichotomy of the red and the blue <laughs> is interesting <laughs> because it feels like it's just different. I mean, because for as much as you see like Trump signs and, you know, the paraphernalia on the side of the road for sale, mm-hmm. like they just won a championship. Then you have, you know, all the Biden signs and the front yards and it seems very civil and people are like not really fighting amongst themselves, but there's just different corners of people where you have people blow your horn for Trump and then you got Biden on the other side. Like, I just feel like it's very split here in Florida. I think it is a very conservative state, but it's a very much a melting pot of people. Very few people are actually from Florida that live here. And then you have generational gaps where you have the old people, old money that are here that you know, just seem to be Trump supporters because it's a red state and you just kind of stay with what it is. And then you have that younger generation that's kind of the changeover that you can see that are just a little bit more enthusiastic and 
more for Biden and for change. And so it really seems to feel like a huge divide for people who are for Trump. Sometimes it seems to be a little bit more hidden than the people who are for Biden or seem to be a little bit more, you know, verbal about it. But I do think that Florida is going to be a tough state and it may come down to a 50-50 split. I mean, it, it just feels like half and half. It doesn't feel like one way or the other. And that that's kind of what I'm seeing uh, both. And me being a Californian, I think it's just interesting to see how people move here in Florida. It is definitely different, but being further south, the further south you are, it feels a little bit more like California. And the further north you go, you know, past West Palm Beach, when you get to Orlando and all that, it feels a lot different. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Florida if all the votes are counted or if there's going to be some uh, recount, you know, there's a oh lot goodness. of little, no. a lot of hiccups that happen here in Florida. Really, it's interesting. There's a really interesting aspect, as you mentioned, Lisa, about this potential election because of the mail-in ballot situation, meaning mm-hmm. mail-in ballots can be submitted as long as it's submitted on election day, which meant people will be counting them probably not on like election day, but even the days after. Exactly. And there have been states that have been doing mail-in ballots at a high clip for a while. It just is now because of pandemic, they are coming front and center in conversation because it changes the game for a lot of people, like myself included. I knew I would do, like when I was at Stanford, an absentee ballot, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that mail-in is just also another option for people that may not be able to go. And that's because in pandemic, you know, people don't feel comfortable probably staying in line for an hour or so and being exposed to that many people. So now it's been pushed as an education talking point. And so now knowing that we have an election that could come, not just like usually, I remember I used to stay up all night. I'd stay up and I'd wait for them to call it, knowing that like there's a potential that it could take a little bit longer to me adds to the intrigue, which is kind of nuts. What is your voting plan, Lisa? I know you have your mail-in ballot Mm -hmm. and your husband, I assume, has his too. Is your plan to fill it out and then to drop it off? No, not at all. I'm going to do early voting, which I really have done the last four years is early voting, uh, which is go stand in the line over at the library uh, nearby and uh, go in there and cast my vote. So that's definitely my plan. Still early voting. Um, why? Why do you why do you prefer that to your mail in? Because the mail in, I feel like I don't know if it made it or not. I feel like with my early voting, I was inside. I did the little, you know, I bubbled my dots correctly. I put it inside the machine. I got my I voted sticker. Something about that whole process for me feels really good. And I feel like I can be like, hey, I voted. You should too. I just did the process. You know, like I went through it. I did my homework. I like the feeling of like the completion of seeing it through from the time I get my ballot to me doing my research to actually going, voting and getting my sticker. I don't know. Again, something could happen after that process, but I feel like at least I took the action to do it. I feel like the mail, I'm just not sure what happened. I'm not I sure it made it. I am on that same energy. I'm not sure it got open. I don't know who opened it. Like I just don't know that it made it. And so for that, and I'm not saying I, anybody who cannot make it, who has any pre-existing conditions and can't get out, like mail in your vote. Vote however, whatever is best for you. Me personally, You know, I'm just a little anal like that. I like to see the process start to finish. Oh, yeah. I'm the same way, you know, and that's a large reason why I've decided to fly back home to vote, which, by the way, like I haven't missed a day of work intentionally 
the only other time was like when I had a surgery a while back. And so I love working. You know me. It's like so all you about changed my your reps. mind because before you said you were thinking you were gonna mail it in. You're gonna fly back and vote, girl. Exactly what you talked about. Like I want to see this thing through. Yeah. I want to see it. <laughs> nice. And so yeah, and my whole family's voting, and I also will be serving as a poll worker as well. So what? I will be a poll back worker. Home in Houston. Hey. No, yeah, girl, I'm gonna be a poll worker. You know what I'm saying? Get it, get like, it. I'm gonna work, work that poll. Polls. I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be a poll worker. So not only will I be voting at home, but I will also hopefully be helping people vote as well. And so that's the plan. And, you know, it just felt like we talk about so much and we know it's an important time. And what I learned about the poll workers is a lot of people have been doing it. A lot of them are the older generation mm-hmm. and the older generation can't get out there like they used to or normally would just because of the virus and all that type of stuff. So it's on us. It's on me. It's on my people, my generation least the people yeah. with flavor, not with seasoning, even though we accept both. Um, to go out there and do their job. So the coolest part is that I'm going to go home. I'm going to vote in Texas. And then I told my sisters, and then a couple of my sisters said they wanted to do it too. So I think there'll be poll workers as well. So I think at least three of us will be in there. That's awesome. I'm really happy to hear that. That's what we need for all of you Generation Z and millennials to get out there and help so that these voting polls can be safe and we can have young people who have the energy and the time and the health, good health, to go and help people get their votes in. That's awesome. I'm really proud of you, Janae. Thank you, sis. I appreciate you. I'll let you know how it goes. I think they say you can't touch your phone the whole time, so that'll be a really good test for me. (laughs) Um, I guess that's more important uh, just for me to get out there and just separate myself and just be present. Yes, Um, be present. But, you know, what's really great is that we are going to bring on a very special guest, Latasha Brown. We'll be here in a minute, so stay with us. She will shut it down, I guarantee you. Like, you will enjoy hearing every word she has to say, and she will break down why voting matters. Not to just me and Lisa, but for everyone. Woo! I am so excited. We've got a squad. Latasha, thanks so much for being here today. You are an award-winning organizer, a philanthropic consultant, a political strategist, a jazz singer, which I can't wait to hear more about later on, an expert on so many subjects, including political empowerment, social justice, economic development, leadership, wealth creation, civil rights, the list goes on and on. But today, we are very excited to have you here to talk about voting because voting is so important as a part of our civic responsibilities, our civic duties. This is literally how we create the change that we want for future generations. And I'm so glad you're here with Lisa and I today. Welcome to our show. And here's the deal. We really wanted to have you on because I have voted several times now because I'm 20 years older than Cheney. <laughs> but I think also for our listeners, we wanted to understand a little bit more how we can continue to use our voices and our platforms to bring more awareness, inspire our communities. Chenea is a millennial inspiring her young people. We know that a new 40% of voters that will be happening this year in 2020 have just turned 18. So when you talk about 4 million new voters joining in, we recognize that young people could care less about parties. (laughs) They don't care about the Democratic Party. They don't care about the Republican Party. Like we're not speaking to them. So my first thought is sort of, why do you uh, feel it's important to vote? Why are you voting this year in this 2020 election? 
But also, I also heard you say that it's not necessarily that important. And so I've never heard anyone say that as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing I did right was <laughs> the day I started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on. I wanted to start with that, as I usually do, because I'm a native of Selma, Alabama, which was the site of the Voting Rights Movement and the Voting Rights Act. Now, it was 55 years ago when the Voting Rights Act passed. And let me frame it this way. It does matter if we vote. The challenge is we're not being honest with people. We're telling people that voting is going to be the panacea and it's going to solve everything, right? Right. That's not true. And young people know that. And when we're saying that, we're reinforcing something that they already know. It's almost like, you know, somebody lying to you, but okay. So then I'm supposed to follow you. The truth of the matter is voting is certainly not the panacea to everything. It will not solve all our problems, but it is a leverage of power. And fundamentally, when I think about my community, that at my community for it to look the way that I want it to look, for mm-hmm. us to be able to have the resources, for us to really be able to uproot structural racism, I ain't leaving nothing on the floor. I am literally trying to make sure that I'm plugging into every bit of power that we have. And so we have to really shift the way we see voting. You know, mm-hmm. we've been talking about voting as it's just an act of participation. Now, this is about power. Right. So much so that there are people that are going through extraordinary measures to be able to prevent us and to suppress the vote. And so even when I talk to young people, there are kind of three things um, about in terms of how I see voting. There are three things that I see won't say. One, I'm honest with them. That certainly because I have been and, I, and Lisa, I don't know of you, but I voted before where I had to vote for somebody that I wasn't necessarily all excited about. Have you had that experience? Amen. Many <laughs> um, a time, right? Yes. <laughs> Ultimately, this ain't a popularity contest. This is literally about power. Somebody's going to win. Yes. There is going to be a winner and a loser. But I have to make a tactical decision, right? Being someone who grew up in the deep south, oftentimes I didn't have candidates, particularly on the state and the federal level that I could actually support, right? That were aligned with my interests. But what I had to do is I had to make a decision, a tactical decision on what candidate would I need to vote for at the very least that would reduce the harm in my community and best align with the strategy that I have for my community. In the meantime, while we were doing this, we were also building an organization to create a pipeline so that we could actually start having candidates and other people that run for office that I actually support. But I think it's really irresponsible when we're not really being honest about one, the limitations of voting, but being real clear about the leverage of power of voting and helping people to understand that. So when I say that for me, there's nothing that exists in this country that is not impacted or touched by politics. Name something. Like I tell folks, you can't even die and your folks collect the insurance money without producing a death certificate, right? And so I don't know about other folks, but I'm real clear that if anybody's going to make a decision about Latasha Brown, I need to be a part of that process, right? (laughs) And so fundamentally, part of voting is me operating in my agency, I'm not just going to let you run all over me. I'm not just going to give away my power, but I also don't rely just on the vote. I see the vote as one leverage of power, but I'm also organizing and supporting institutions and doing the work. And so I think that part of what happens is when we get stuck in this conversation around voting, it's too limiting. We're talking to people from the participation perspective Mm -hmm. and not from the power perspective. This is a leverage of power. And so if there's any community that cannot afford to leave even an iota of power on the table, 
It's ours. I'm trying to get it personally. And talking about that agency and being able to create that change and represent yourself and also leverage your own power, you have done that masterfully. You are the co-founder of the Black Voters Matter Fund, along with your partner, Cliff Albright, um, you know, a power building uh, based on civic engagement and organization throughout the Black community. So it's been really great to see this evolve into different forms of organizing. And your group has been synonymous with voting rights and activism. And you talk about your roots. And I love this because I'm a daughter of the South, the dirty South, born and raised Houston, Texas. And sometimes it's hard for us to really flex in our own space, right? And obviously there are activists like Martin Luther King, we know John Lewis and countless others who have marched for the right to vote. And now we're in 2020 and we're trying to find ways to continue to push that forward. So I guess my question is twofold. What is the Black Voters Matter Fund? And then also, how has your upbringing helped influence your reasoning for wanting to do this work? Oh, that's an excellent question. Thank you for asking. Black Voters Matter Fund, that's why we don't call ourselves an election organization. We do work 365 days out of the year. We're doing everything we can to get people to vote on November 3rd. Guess where we're going to be at November 4th? We're going to be back at it. Because at the end of the day, we're doing this work to build power, not just to select a candidate or a political party. This is literally fundamentally about us, how resources are distributed in our community, how we get leadership that's either reflective of our community, how we take some folk out who have not been good or kind to our community, that fundamentally for us, it's about power. We started this organization, technically we started it in 2016. I say technically because Cliff and I and April, who's his wife, both of our best friends, that we used to sit for two and a half decades. Mm. We were young, we would sit in the office, we would organize campaigns, this work that we're doing now, we were envisioning this work and different elements we would do over the years, we're like, what if we, if we had a million dollars, what could we do to build power? If we could work in this state, in this state, what could we do? And so over those 25 years or more, the work that we did, we've learned a lot of lessons. Everything related to the process on some level, we've done it from starting a third party to running for public office. Like, because fundamentally he and I are both very committed to black liberation for us, we know having the political landscape makes a difference. And so what we decided to focus on as an organization is that one, we wanted to root our work in the South. Why? Because that's where black people are. The majority of black people that live in this country live in the South. Mm -hmm. We also work in some states that we call up South. We're working currently in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And we're doing some other work in Texas and some other places as well, not just the whole state, because Texas is too big, y'all. But, right. <laughs> but there's really two big pieces what we want to do. One, we wanted to build independent Black political power. And the way we felt that you could do that is literally by supporting grassroots organizations. And so what we did is, and even in 2018, we directly funded 180 Black-led grassroots groups, almost a million dollars where we put money on the ground. That mm -hmm. often you don't see that. What winds up happening is three weeks out from the election, people have the round the Negroes up. And they drop up. Go to your church. The one where they go to the church. Come right. stop by your church in the, in the cookout. And that's it. You don't see them no more. Like right. They throw a little fair dust and that's it. Right. That's not building sustainable power for us. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for us, we thought it was important that we needed to build infrastructure and support those groups and those organizations that are already there. One, by resourcing them, being able to provide resources directly to people who had community credibility that were yeah. rooted in community and actually were doing the work, front lines work. Secondly, that we will almost function like a party. We're not trying to be a political party, but some of the support 
that mm-hmm. a party or a candidate, like from campaign size to cool t-shirts to making sure that we had tools like being able to do text message campaigns and a phone banking, even the data to do the texting campaigns and the phone banking, sometimes that data, that voter file can cost 3,000, 5,000. Our people don't have those resources. So right. what we do, we purchase it and give it to them, right? And each of the communities that we're in, we don't determine what it is that we're gonna do in that community. That community determines. You know, I think that's part of the problem. Everybody got advice for black folks. We know what we need. Those of us that are in our communities, we know what we need. So what is a matter of infusing the kind of resources operating almost like the special ops that's gonna come in and be like, all right, then what, what, what are we trying to do? And be able to provide that support. And so this year, by the end of, I think right now we're up to 300 organizations. We are supporting right now where we're investing in 300 black-led grassroots groups in 14 states throughout the country, mostly in the South and in the Midwest, um, directly to grassroots folk. And it is making a difference, y'all. We had the coolest caravan in Columbia, South Carolina yesterday. Wait, 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 wait. Because the, the caravan, you know, I had to oh, jump yeah, in yeah. here. I, tell you about the caravan. I, I love this because the Black voters has been leading this charge with the Black voters participated in South Carolina, but you guys hit the streets with activists. You had the caravan with like nearly 100 cars. And this is during the pandemic, right? And so tell me about this event, how you got people together and activated this. I thought it was so cool. Please tell us about the caravan of nearly 100 cars in South Carolina. So we launched the We Got Power campaign. Yes. Um, one, I don't know if y'all have seen it yet, but we've got the blackest bus in America <laughs> that we are taking around the country. And I mean, it is the blackest. We are obnoxiously, beautifully, powerfully black. And we've been literally taking our bus around this year because it's COVID and we can't go canvas door to door. Yes. You know, the bus decided that she wanted to have some babies. So we got 20 baby buses. So we've got the blackest fleet. We got two buses and 20 baby buses. And we're literally running caravans right now in 11 states. We have QR codes. So through the QR codes, can people put that on their phone? Yes. So the QR codes are either on the bus or they're on madness that we put on people's cars. We try to get the magnets back at the end of the caravans, but y'all know they just like. We just- <laughs> <laughs> oh, but if you see a black bonus matter magnet, tell them bring us our magnets back. But no. Right. <laughs> so then a person can look at that code and once they use their phone, what does that take them to? It takes them straight to a page where they can check their status. They can even register to vote and wow. they can find out where they vote. It takes them straight there. The information they need to vote, all they got to do is hold your camera up, even if you just want to test it out. Right. Mm-hmm. We had this sister who wasn't really clear whether she wanted to register or not, but she saw the code and she was like, oh, I'm going to try it. It popped up. You know, we were like, we got her. She's <laughs> yeah. she straight. <laughs> she straight did it right there. But we're trying to use technology. We're trying mm-hmm. to use safety. We've been partnering with our local groups. There's auto clubs, um, motorcycle clubs that are just amazing. So in Cleveland, we went to nine neighborhoods. The Creepers Jeepers shut it down. I was like, these are the baddest Jeeps. It was about 40 Jeeps, all different colors, all souped up. I was sitting there myself. I was like, ooh, I might want me a Jeep for my birthday. (laughs) It was like awesome. And then in Columbia, we wound up having almost 100 cars. Y'all, it was so amazing. (laughs) Went in the community. So you know everybody came out to see these fly cars. And we were out talking to people and registering them. Part of our work. It's not moving away from our culture. We actually use our culture to lean into those things that we love, those things that bring us joy, that fundamentally this process, racism is traumatic. 
right? And so we literally, as a part of our work, we're doing everything is in love and power. Even our bus, you will never see our bus ever without the words love and power. It doesn't matter how we change the design, mm -hmm. the foundation of what we believe is love and power. And so to be able to have our community still be able to get the word out and in a way that's safe because everybody's in their cars, they're with their families and keep doing this work is really important. One of the other things we did was a drive-in. We did a dinner and debate. So we had over 200 families nice. in Cleveland that drove their cars in. We actually had the Black Panther there um, for the kids. We had a sound truck. We had food. We provided dinner for everybody that was there with their families. People took out their chairs and stayed with their own family, they, their cars. They could just turn it on a certain station and be able to hear. We had screens up. We're using creative ways because we like being together. And mm -hmm. so it is how do we connect ways that we are together that we still feel the collective power in being together. And we always got a DJ. Be clear, if you see Black Votes Matter, two things, we'll have some food and we'll have some music, right? <laughs> I am from the dirty South, so you know. Yes. <laughs> we don't step out unless we do it right. We don't step out unless we do it right. And I love all this because you just are highlighting such innovative ways to motivate and inspire people to vote, especially the new generation, as Lisa mentioned, four million new voters for this election cycle. And we know, oh Lord, you turn on the news, we know it is hard to deal with, hard to process. And there's so many challenges ahead. I say now, you can no longer be willfully ignorant. I feel like people are now motivated and actually curious to engage because of the situation we're in right now. But what do you believe to be the biggest challenge to getting people to actually go and vote? And then also, what would you tell them so that they actually do that as well? So I think the biggest issue right now is really voter suppression. I think that there is an effort to suppress the vote. And when we're seeing voter suppression, people normally think about kind of the process way they do it, which they're doing. Like in Georgia, where there are 200,000 voters who were dropped off the voting rolls in October of 2019, they never should have been dropped off in the first place. There were 328,000. We worked with Greg Palace and a group of experts. We actually had them to do this list to come up with these 200,000 voters that should never have been dropped from the voting rolls, right? So we're seeing this kind of process way that they're taking people off. We're seeing where they're closing sites, where the governor of Texas is now saying you can only have one drop-off site per county. Like, think about that. In a time where we're literally trying to provide access, why are we not expanding access? Why are we restricting access? Because there are those that want to suppress the vote. The biggest challenge and the danger, if I would say there's one thing that keeps me up at night, is this campaign, this, this disinformation campaign, and this culture of fear to disconnect us from our power. And I see it in a number of ways. That one, people will say, I'm not excited about either candidate and such and such and such. Listen, y'all athletes, <laughs> let me say this. I know y'all have played against teams that you knew that they had a home court advantage. You knew that the referees were cheating. What you mm -hmm. did, just go, I'm just going to go sit down. Right. I'm trying to go to the basket. Like, yeah. like, matter of fact, I'm trying to drive even harder, right? Because yeah. I know what I'm up against, right? And so we got to see it in that kind of way. Because somebody's going to win the game. Right. Bottom line, that's the truth. Somebody's going to win the game. I'm saying that because I think it's a certain way that we've got to shift. We got to be honest about what voting is. And we got to start seeing voting as one tactical strategy of literally reducing the harm in our communities. Because there's some folks, you know, I get frustrated when I see people of privilege will say, well, we're not going to vote. We're going to withhold the vote because X, Y, Z. That's fine for you to say. 
But the most vulnerable in our community, when they right. lose their protection, when they lose health care, when they lose some of the things that some folks are saying that they're going to take from them, that's a different kind of ball game. That right. can be the difference between life and death. And so it's easy to say that when you're coming from a place of privilege and it's just your opinion, the bottom line is that we've got to see voting as a leverage for power. When I vote, right, I am considering a candidate, but I'm not voting for the candidate. I'm voting for me. Fundamentally, every vote that I take, I am voting to operate in my agency, that I am not leaving any power on the table. I am trying to literally tap into everything I can as long as my community is in a struggle. That's how I see it. I think young people, they're being dissuaded and talked about in a certain kind of way because they have more power than any generation since the baby boomers. Right. This generation is the first generation, right, has now has the numbers to eclipse the baby boomers. So the truth of the matter is, if young people just came out and aligned themselves and voted, they could literally shift the priorities in this country. They could change who's in Congress. They could change who's in the White House. The bottom line is I also think that there's this narrative that's being pushed about young people not wanting to vote that is actually feeding. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm, that is actually right. feeding some of that. And so what we've got to do is really have some honest conversations with young folks around the limitations of voting but literally being honest about the leverage of voting and shift the focal point. Even this election, this election is bigger than Biden, right? This election, we're fundamentally talking about democracy. We're fundamentally talking about stopping fascism. We're right. fundamentally talking about, listen, if you're bold enough that you're going to call a white supremacist group, that's all I need to hear. If you are literally aligning yourself with a white supremacist group, I know that can't be good for black folks. Right. And so fundamentally, we've got to make a tactical decision around what is going to be the best to protect our community while we radically reimagine every system in this country. Miss Latasha Brown, you have beyond given us a word. I can't even express to you. First off, for people out there who don't know who Latasha Brown is, Google her, please. You just heard this is just a small part because if we had more time on our show, we'd keep going. Just amazing knowledge. I love things that I read about you about saying reset America. This is what you're talking about. Like we have to reset America and our votes will help reset America. And if we unite, we can make a difference. And that difference doesn't happen just at the polls, guys. It happens the day after because then the work begins for us and our communities to empower ourselves and empower each other to continue to fight this fight. We're going to play in this game, Ms. Latasha Brown. We appreciate you coming and blessing us with your word, with your knowledge. Shanae and I will be voting, of course, but we really hope that we've been able to reach some of our listeners out there. And um, wow, how can uh, they continue to reach and follow the Black voters? Matter of fact, um, they can find yes. us on our website. And we do want to be engaged. We're working with folks all around the spectrum. Our goal yes. is not... We're not a, a instrument of any political party, of any political candidate. Our sole purpose is to help build independent political power for Black folks. They can follow us on our social media platforms, Black Voters MTR, Black Voters MTR on all social media platforms. You can follow me, Miss Latasha Brown, L-A-T-O-S-H-A Brown, because we in these streets. We're going to be yes. in these streets for the next 20-some <laughs> plus days. Um, and you can go to our website. You can check your status. You can get connected to voting. If you want to volunteer, 
go to our website or text We Matter to 797979. Come on, get down with us. We believe that when we work together, we win. This is our moment. We can really transform our circumstance, but we've got to show up for us right now. Take us out with a hymn. What you want us to hear? Give us let a me, word. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is just a song that my grandmother taught me that I'm just going to sing this. Yeah, um, just this. a little bit of it. Ain't going to let nobody turn me around. Turn me around. Turn me around. Ain't going to let nobody turn me around. I'm going to keep on walking. Keep on talking. Marching up to freedom's lane. Amen. God bless oh, you. Thank you so much for blessing us. Thank you, sister. Love you. Woo! I feel the spirit, and hopefully the spirit, Lisa, will carry everyone to go and vote because voting matters. So one more time, Lisa, why is it so important for us to follow through and make sure we have our vote count? Yes, it is important to have our votes count, guys. Listen, whether you do a mail-in vote, whether you do early voting, or you vote on election day, it doesn't matter how you do it, just do it. Get your mom, your aunt, your grandpa, cousins, nephew, anybody 18 and over, be sure to make sure that your family is voting. This is a good excuse for you to reach out to your side boo, the guy you didn't want to talk to. <laughs> just hit him up and just say, look, I'm just checking to see if you vote in. You never know what could happen. So look, risk it all because honestly, that's where we're at right now. We've got nothing to lose. So make sure you go and follow through and vote. It is so important. Vote like our lives depend on it because they really do. And unfortunately, that's our show. So make sure you guys subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yes, and you can catch your girl on Instagram at Lisa Leslie or on Twitter at Lisa Leslie. And you can find me at Chanae on Twitter or IG, or you can send us an email at frontandcenter at bluewirepods.com. Again, that is frontandcenter at bluewirepods.com. We will see you next time. But make sure you guys let us know what you think of our show. We'd love to hear from you. All right, that's it. Bye. Bye, later.